where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Such an appropriate song to sing as we prepare to hear words of scripture uh, this morning. And this morning's story is one that you may be less familiar with. We do not hear it very often. It comes from the book of Acts which uh, is written by the same author who wrote Luke. It is um, a continuation of the story. For Luke, the gospel is very much about the life of Jesus and then how that moved out into the church. And so in the book of Acts, we hear how that happened. We hear about the work that the disciples were doing and we're picking up in chapter 9, but if we had gone back, we would have been hearing a lot about uh, Peter and Paul. And immediately before this story, we actually have the story of Paul's conversion. And then we have a story of Peter healing a man. As Peter had healed this uh, man, word had spread. And that's where we're picking up today. Now there was at Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which means Dorcas. Uh, Dorcas is gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda, where Peter had just done that healing, was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, begging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he had come, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood behind him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Tabitha had made while she was alive. But Peter put them all outside the room, and he knelt down and he prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And then calling to the disciples and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with a man called Simon. In January of 2021, the city of Philadelphia rolled out a new initiative called the Healing Verse Poetry Line. And every week you can call this hotline and you can hear a new piece of inspirational poetry. These are the first few lines from a poem that was on a few weeks ago from a poet called Lee Upton. That beautiful thing that you did that no one knows about or forgot or no one cares for, it's there always. It is light, grainy light, 
there in that high room as a light that guides from a great distance ships at sea. I remember this poem because the story about Tabitha is in many ways a story of beautiful things. Because it's found where it is after pages and pages that are devoted to Peter and to Paul and devoted to their miraculous healings and the many good things that they were doing, we really only come to know six things about Tabitha. We know she was a disciple, that her name in Greek was Dorcas, that she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. And then we know that she died, that she had friends who mourned her, and that she was raised from the dead. Her list reminds me of this challenge that went around in maybe the mid-2000s to write your memoir in six words or less. The responses ranged from everything that were funny to heartbreaking, and they actually ended up being turned into a book, and I can't remember the title, but you could Google it and find it if you wanted to. Some of the things that went around were uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda. A regretful life. Another person had a completely different take and said, I wouldn't change it a bit. And then in the funnier vein, there was 70 years, few tears, hairy ears. <laughs> A woman wrote, asked to quiet down, spoke louder. Most of them were that way. They were both funny and inspiring. And it's kind of a fun exercise to think about. And it's also fun maybe to think about what your list would be like. If six words isn't enough for you, maybe a list of six things like Tabitha had. Those kind of help us really distill what it is that we want from our lives. Another way that we often ask that is, are you living the way you want to be remembered? The early church leaders had a similar question. But there seems to have been more like, are you living the way you want Jesus to be remembered? Throughout the New Testament, all of these miracles that are performed by Jesus and then in Acts and later by his disciples are done with one purpose in mind. They are done to point others towards the experience of God in Jesus. It's why Tabitha's resurrection and then all of the healing stories that come before and after it end with a note about how many people believed. You probably heard that in there. And then many people believed. It was their purpose. It was what they were living for. And many, many people believed because of Peter's healing miracles and this resurrection of Tabitha. And Tabitha's story then, for better or for worse, becomes intertwined with Peter's. And it's why it seems to be overshadowed. We hear about her that she does good works and acts of charity. And we know that she sowed and that's it. 
For Peter, we get much more. That beautiful thing that you did that no one knows about or forgot, it's there always. Light, grainy light, like a light that guides great ships at sea. In honor of Tabitha, then, and of these many lights that shine in the world, of the lights that you all are shining and the lights that you have had shown on you, we're going to pause here for a moment of personal reflection. And if you do a gratitude practice, you might frame this as a gratitude practice. It'll just be a moment to sit and to honor the lights that have come into your lives. And I know with Mother's Day on the minds of some of us, it may be that mother figures, whether they were biological or not, are the people who come to you. And it may not. It's simply an invitation to rest in this moment and let those lights shine. You know, it's funny, I of course knew this assignment ahead of time, so I thought I already had prepped the people that I would be sitting with in that moment, and other people came to mind for me. And I wonder if that was true for you as well, as you sat there longer, some of those lights that 
maybe it become lights in the back of your mind, shown a little brighter. And I hope that uh, practice of bringing their lights into this room was a powerful one for you today. Some of those stories, like Tabitha's story, are stories that we don't hear as often. They're stories that we have to maybe dig a little deeper to find, but they are stories that matter. Buried within this story is a detail that we shouldn't overlook, and I think we often do in our focus on Peter's miracle, on this resurrection, which of course was miraculous, and many people believed. But Peter's resurrection of Tabitha mattered in that moment because of the countless good works that she had done. His big miracle was possible because of all of those behind-the-scenes years. That time she spent sewing clothes for the widows who were otherwise left without anyone to care for them. The time that she spent delivering meals. And because we know so little about her, I'm not even sure that she wasn't performing miracles of her own. She is the only woman to be explicitly named as a disciple in the Bible. We certainly have others who fit that, uh, but she is named that. And there is probably a reason for that. There is probably behind-the-scenes work that was happening that uh, maybe didn't get told or heard as much. And so her resurrection, her healing, became possible because of that intercession of the people who loved it, loved her. When it mattered, they were the ones who raised their voices. They were the ones who demanded that her story get the attention that it deserved. The ones who sent for the next town over, tell them what is happening here. And that's a bittersweet point in the story because it points to this deep need that was maybe not being seen. Without Tabitha, the widows were bereft. They were left with no one to care for them. Their already powerless lives began to look even more bleak when she died. And so the story has in it this injustice. There are elements of inequality that are playing out in multiple ways here. But one of the things that I really appreciate about the story is that when Peter enters the scene, when he arrives into that room, he doesn't question the women. He doesn't question their grief. He doesn't question their motives. He could have assured them, knowing what he knows, that everything's going to be okay in the big picture, that Tabitha is in a better place. But he doesn't. He doesn't point them to some future down the road where the world will be fair. He believes them then and there. 
There is a bit of wisdom that says that when we encounter folks who are having a hard time, the question that we should ask them is simply, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Peter models this for us, I think, in the way that he approaches the concern of the widows. He takes it seriously. And because of Tabitha and what we know about her, we know that she took it seriously too. So to explore that question a little bit more, we're going to turn to a video, and this is a conversation with Reverend Brittany Fiscus Van Rossum, who has a um, really interesting ministry that she will tell a little bit about and help explore this question, where does it hurt? I'm Brittany Fiscus Van Rossum. I'm a pastor at Mercy Community Church, which is a grassroots ecumenical congregation that meets in borrowed spaces and on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia. We bring people in and out of housing together to gather multiple days of the week to eat food together and worship God and fellowship and build community, work for justice, and just be the church together. Where does it hurt? This is a humanizing question. One, it acknowledges that all human beings experience pain. But I like this question because where does it hurt also acknowledges that the pain that you're feeling is legitimate. It says, where does it hurt? And even if your answer, even if your story, your experience, your pain is different from mine, I value you as a human being enough to ask you this question. And I value you enough to listen to and accept the response. It's when Eli finally, finally stops and listens to Hannah, who shares her painful story in her own words. It's when Jesus is walking through the crowd, but takes the time to stop and turn and notice and acknowledge and listen to this long hurting woman who others have labeled impure. This question is humanizing because it says that even if I don't have the answers, even if I don't have a solution, I value you enough as a human to listen to your experience. Have you ever not wanted to ask this question because you don't know if you can accept the answer? As a pastor to a community of many people who experiencing ho experience homelessness, there are some days that I struggle to find the right compassionate words. Um, there are days when I don't necessarily want to ask the question, how was your night last night? Because I'm afraid of what the response might be. I'm afraid because maybe they'll say it was too cold or too rainy or maybe the police told them to move or maybe they experienced violence and maybe i won't have a solution or an answer maybe i won't know what to do or maybe even their answer is going to 
call to attention this injustice happening in my own city. And I'm going to have to acknowledge that I'm complicit in some of the things and some of the broken systems that cause other people pain. Even as I was asked to reflect on this question, I found myself wanting to jump to the next questions like, where does it hurt? Okay, what can I do? How can I fix it? How can I be a helper? And, um, you know, I think that's natural. But I think that as faithful people, as people called to be present to one another, um, as people who follow an embodied, enfleshed God who was present to human beings and right in the middle of humanity and all of its pain and all of its suffering, I think we too are called to not move too quickly to what's next. We're called to ask, where does it hurt? And to be present to whatever the answer might be. We're called to value the human being, the stories, the experiences, the pain of others, even if it's different from our own, even if it calls us to account. If we are to be people who bring peace and healing, it's going to happen through listening. It's going to happen through relationships. It's going to happen through being present to one another, um, bearing witness to pain. Because that's who our God is. Our God bears witness to our pain. Our God stands alongside us in all of our pain and suffering. And we're called to do that for one another. If you think back to the people who shined their lights for you, those people that we held in our minds a few minutes ago, I wonder how many of them made an impact because they had insight into this question, where does it hurt? And maybe they didn't ask it explicitly. Some people know how to be in that place without saying that question out loud. They know how to pay attention to the tender places? Were those some of the people that came to mind for you? I know they were some of the ones that came to mind for me. And so like Peter and like Tabitha and like the women that Tabitha ministered to and the people who have been there for us, we are called to pay attention to the tender places. And we might not always get to pull off a big deal miracle either. We might do a lot of behind the scenes work before we see whatever payoff there is to. But those beautiful things matter. They are steady lights in a stormy worlds, and we hold them right in the palm of our hands for others. May it be so for each of us.